Hey you, you're listening to Sloancast, your one-stop shop deep dive where we discuss anything and everything about the greatest band of all time. Patrick Penland, Andrew Scott, Jay Ferguson, and Chris Murphy, collectively known as Sloan. We are your fellow superfan hosts, I'm Rob, this is Ken. Ken, we're back, this is emergency episode number two. <laughs> That's right, and I'm feeling, uh, I'm living and I'm fine. That's, the, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. Today. That's good to hear. You hear that you're both alive and that you're all right. I'm I'm very that, uh, one happy could to say hear that. that for yeah. example. <laughs> we are joined today. We are joined today by a uh, recurring now, I guess, guest of of the cast, uh, and one who has some very intimate insights to uh, deliver to this topic. That's right. Our boy, episode four alum. Uh, you know him as Blue Suit Ron. Uh, his mom knows him as Ron Baker. Uh, <laughs> the neighborhood knows him as that super friendly guy walking down the street all the time. Uh, Ron, how you doing, buddy? Blue Suit Ron. I'm doing good, man. And that's, that's what we think of you, actually, in the neighborhood. That's what we say about you behind your back. I'm doing so good, and it's so awesome to be here. Almost thir- Can you believe almost 30 episodes since the last time? Yeah. So I don't get my double cross, but I get my double three right now. So that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, Number man. 33, right? This is 33. This will be, let me indeed. think. I think it'll be 33, yeah. 33 and a third. 33 and a third, exactly. <laughs> Killer, man. <laughs> well, it's so good to have you back. Thanks, man, so much. This is so awesome. And it, it's just sort of appropriate. We had Laura Q on uh, the, the previous Alive and I Write Part 1 episode because she was obviously at this incredible show and, and you were there. And I'm curious to hear you know any, any sort of insights you might have. And just for the listener to kind of catch them up a little bit, what we're referring to here, obviously, is the Alive and All Right uh, t- between the bridges live february 4th 2000 concert that was shot at the time in 2000 right before the guys went on their between the bridges tour and it's amazing and then the last episode i was kind of trying to remember from a decade of seeing it long ago and you know laura key was trying to remember things from 22 years ago but now we've had the uh yeah, the, uh, the the pleasure of seeing it and hearing it, obviously, and uh, so I'm happy. To, I'm so excited to talk about that because, man, were there there was so many things that I'd forgotten, but as soon as I saw it, it's like, oh yeah, that's like it's just, just like super familiar. Um, so yeah, man. Well, it, so like Laura Q, who got a call from Chris at her house. How did you hear about this event? How did you know to go there? I'm trying to think. It might have been that was a pretty action-packed time around Sloan, so mm-hmm. I might have. T- dates totally totally backwards here but like i just remember this fuzzy time in my mind right and it sort of centered around it might have been was it the same week so you guys recently had a clip on on your instagram feed of the boys at much music um but they were talking about they were referencing the show in that interview with rick and rachel right would that have been before or after this taping this would have been because no that this would have been a week after the the much be a thing would have been a week after this was taped. Now you were at the much interview too, right? The much access TV. I was were you there? there? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, man, yeah I was there everything. as well. Because Laura Q is there too, Laura Q and Kira, and that's what Chris yeah, says absolutely. in the interview. He says a lot of repeat people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was trying to think of when I would have. The reason why I brought that up is because I was trying to actually think about how I would have found out, and I thought maybe Chris had told me then. But that was the thing to to echo what Laura said. Like it wouldn't be uncommon to begin a, a call from Chris Murphy at home saying, "Hey, uh, video shoot. Uh, we're we're taping a live performance. We want to go with a, a music video for every song off the album, you know, <laughs> and give it too much music. We're taping on Friday. Be there." In That's other words, insane, so man. That's insane. I cannot quite remember. And this was back in the day before cell phones. So it's not like you're getting like an immediate text. You get home from being 
out all day. And on your answer machine, there's Chris Murphy. He left me a birthday message, as I probably said on episode number four. Like, I don't even know what I turned. Must have been 20. And it had, you know, music in the background. His heart, Magic Man playing. And, like, what a thrill, like, it is to get something like that from your, from your idol. Chris would be rolling his eyes right now if he's listening to this. Hi, Chris, if you heard me call, calling him uh, my idol. I've tried to tell him so many times, and he always brushes it off. But it, it was probably something similar to how laura got told that's awesome man ah that that birthday call too is insane to me like that would have absolutely blown my mind <laughs> it, it just started with like the opening riffs from the from magic man to doom to doom doomch and it's like what is this and you continue to listen and it's chris hey ron magic man it's like dude i'm in heaven this is the best thing i know i've got a copy of that somewhere and i really gotta find it I like to think that there are just endless recordings of him giving incredibly creative birthday messages to all of his friends and acquaintances. This guy, right? These guys are so cool. They're so creative. They just drip with it. I'm gushing. This is embarrassing. This is the, this is the place for it, my friend. Thank but, you, uh, man. but yeah, dude, so you get the call or, I mean, we can assume you got the call from Murph and you go there. Any remembrances of actual of the actual day, what you did before? Obviously, I saw in the chat uh, a couple of things. Like Jay mentioned, it was kind of cold in there in the warehouse. They're in a warehouse that appears to be, I think from the chat as well, Jay mentioned that it was in Scarborough. We were kind of uncertain about the exact location uh, and don't know okay. the exact place, but he says Scarborough-ish area. Who said that? Jay said that? Yeah, that's what his impression was in the chat. I believe him. So so thrilled to have, have gotten um, asked by you guys to do this because I was hoping as well as inciting or giving you guys insight that I might be able to fill in some of my gaps here as well because cool. I, I, I just remember it being sort of a stormy night mm. kind of, right? Like maybe rainy, but maybe maybe it wasn't rainy. It was just a dark night. It was in February, of course. So yeah, yeah. you've got the, you, you've, you're, you're still sort of in the throes of winter. So I think it was just a, a grayish, dark, bleak kind of night. And I just remember the, the soundstage or studio being out like far but but toronto has all of these sound stages and studios i think sort of peppered around the place so i've definitely tried to think about where where it was but but scarborough makes sense but i just remember showing up and it was just like a dank dingy kind of place big doors everywhere you know and you, you eventually just find yourself where where the boys are and then you know all of the rest of us back then who would always go to the shows and and they were always nice. It was always like a lot, like Laura Q, Elaine was there, yeah. like like en- endless names. And yeah, I, I was happy to see her postcard pop up on the Sloan cast feed. Recently. Yeah, hmm. totally. Yeah, Elaine's uh, Simp Sloan's uh, cartoon that we mentioned <laughs> in the last episode. Yeah, awesome. And then just watching it again, I watched this thing like 10 times this week. And I see Lindsay Lynch in there, who people will recall from yeah, like Sloan Message Board, Sloan Chat. Picks, Lindsay Lynch. Yeah. <laughs> and even, um, I can't remember her name, but she ran a website called Superstar in Stereo. Do either of you guys remember her? I don't remember what right. her first name was, um, but her big deal was that she would go around and like videotape all the shows. Because I remember. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I remember on the Thrush Hermit farewell tour that she was at a lot of those shows filming them and i even i remember asking her after like hey can i have a copy of that she's like no um but then it, it ended up on the thrush hermit uh dvd that plaskin ended up putting out a couple of years ago but i uh, so i remember her i don't know her name but i recall her i see her in the audience in the video blah blah blah. but uh yeah lots of familiar faces including ron over here <laughs> who we well, gotta you and me gotta you and me gotta get together and watch it together in person yeah man 
Totally. Because so many, so many familiar faces and, and even watching you guys posted something like a TVO clip from like back in the days. I can't remember what that show was called. And there was so many familiar faces back then that I would have not otherwise have remembered. But yeah, so, so it's a, I'm getting the impression because when you watch the show, it's just like a big black, like the background is nothing. It's just pitch black. So this was like a sort of bigger warehouse room. You're saying like lots of bay doors and that kind of thing. Yeah, you would walk in and, yeah, I just remember it being dark, walking in. I think it was a brick. Like, it, it seemed like, I, I remember it being an old building. Mm-hmm. And w- which is why, like, getting back to before about thinking that much music clip was even before that taping and stuff and, and how we remember things and stuff. Like, it's 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 so cool to, to, tr- to, to look back and contextualize these things. But that was exactly it. So you'd have these big doors, just like the doors typical to, you would see for a studio. If you haven't been to a studio before, usually they have these big doors so they can put in equipment and stuff, but they're sure. also big and thick enough to stop sound from coming in etc so it was kind of like that and we it was just it seemed like it might have just been maybe not even a soundstage more like a like a photograph or video studio it was quite big from what i remember but very dark yeah, yeah. very dark and i think it was dark the whole time and i i have a faint recollection that maybe after all the taping was over they might have turned some of the floodlights on yeah, for everybody to kind of see where they're going. Yeah, it's funny that's... too, like it, you know, seeing the the show, uh, it's very in keeping with the Zeppelin footage that it's sort of paying mm. tri- in tribute to. In that sure. the audience, yeah. for the most part, I mean, we can kind of get into it as we go through the songs. I don't think there's an applause break until almost halfway through. Like that first chunk yeah. of songs are just like blam, 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 blam. And I know that you might have some insight here that the performance of it and what we see in the show might be slightly different. Like I don't know that it was recorded in the exact order that's presented in here um obviously the songs that kind of chained together were but um Mm -hmm. uh you know laura said that they recorded friendship twice um and and looking remembering back to the footage that i saw when we edited it i don't recall if that was at the beginning and at the end or if they played it just twice in a row or whatever that's that's good insight that's jogging a memory so if if i was to think back and i could be totally wrong it seemed like they were really trying to go through everything these guys are so polished and and tight such great musicians mm. i i've got the recollection that they might have run through the entire through the entire set but paying particular attention to maybe playing friendship twice yeah, yeah. so so maybe they could get some different angles because it was going to actually be well it was the next it was the next single off of between the bridges right yeah that's right so I think I think they were paying particular. The whole thing was sort of from from what I recollect. Maybe I should stop saying that, but uh, <laughs> these memories. But it seemed like the, the the filming was specifically for. This might have been the creative process. It might have been for friendship yeah. to make a video for it. But hey, guys, why don't we just? This looks great. Why don't we film the entire album? You know, and I'm not saying they made that decision that night. Maybe that was a conscious decision they made days leading up to it, or maybe that was the, the decision the entire time. But hmm. getting back to that much music clip, Chris really pitched it to Rick and Rachel that night. You know, I said, "Hey, we'll have a new video every day, every song on the album. Come mm-hmm. on, let's go!" Everyone's clapping, which was all rehearsed beforehand. Oh, that's Guys. what I wanted to ask you about. Okay, so on that episode of Much Access TV, the running <laughs> yeah. joke is that Chris is in control Come of the on. audience. Or that the band yeah. are, really, because they're all kind of doing it. Like, there's a point when Andrew yeah. does it, too, and they just have the, con- the control of the crowd. 
So, so you're confirming that that was sort of organized beforehand and not just a spontaneous thing? Yeah, I seem to remember it was. Yeah, it was Chris like, you know, like this clap, which is great because like 20 years later, if you go to these sporting events, especially it was Iceland making a run in the Euro, Euro Cup. I think it was it was 2016 and they had that clap, that slow clap that would eventually get sure. more more. So it's kind of like that's what we were doing that night. So how groundbreaking was that? But but yeah, <laughs> I, I think he pulled us aside and said or even while we were there in the Much Music studio there, like, guys, this is what we're doing this is what to do. So I yeah, we were it. always more than happy. We were always more than happy to, to do that stuff. I think Slow Clap has been on my potential band name list for a long time. It's a good name. Slow Clap but, is uh, amazing, right? <laughs> let's start that band I'll now. There. Are you guys in? Yeah. All right, let's do I'm it. I'm in. Sure. sure. Done. Uh, Done. But yeah, like, I remember on the show too. It's so good. He he's like Rick and Rachel are throwing to something, or they're going to commercial, and I think it's Chris or somebody says like, you know, did you want some applause on the way out? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, okay, let's go. And he just starts starts everybody clapping. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, right. yeah. Um, to kind of correct something that I had perhaps. Uh, incorrect in the last episode murph uh, posted a thing on his own instagram about the show because people were asking him like why did you wait 22 years for this to come out and da 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 and he kind of kind of told the story and now obviously this kind of for me the, the my part in it my tiny little narrow piece of the puzzle uh started in 2008 when my brother and i shot the documentary or he shot rather and i was just a wallflower, the documentary, the J doc that we've posted about uh, tinyurlcom slash J waiting. If you want to see it anyway. Um, and, and then Chris sort of said that it was 2012 that the wheels really started turning on the editing of this. So I think that the initial spark of, Hey, we'll do the editing was 2008. And then the actual editing would have taken place in 2012. That sounds more right to me. Um, so I was perhaps mistaken previously, but um, you're right. I think that the, the, the onus was on editing and getting a really solid uh, video of, for friendship. And uh, it's possible that they were, planning from the beginning to release the entire thing as like individual videos, or maybe they were just looking to see what they could get. And at the end of the day, they're like, God damn, this whole thing looks and sounds amazing. What do we do with it? And it's just beyond, it's so beyond me guys, if you will, that this has sat on the shelf for 22 years. Cause I mean, dudes, like, I mean, obviously I played a small part in the editing of it in 2012 or whatever, but seeing it again last week for the first time. And then all throughout the week, like, it was just like, Holy shit. Like, Mm. are these guys, like it's like not that I forgot that they're the greatest ever. Like I'm thinking about them every day, but God damn, man! Like it was really exciting to see people in the chat during the uh, uh, the live stream, people reacting to it. You know what I mean? Because yes. you know, if if you have for a second forgotten how powerful these dudes are alive and how well equipped they are and the singing. I mean, we'll get into like Andrew singing background vocals for the lion's share of the show and like mm. uh you know the performances themselves the transitions which are insane i remember the transition between uh edge of the scene and so beyond me where jay stands up from the roads and grabs his guitar and they, they go into the big outro of edge of the scene i remember people in the chat during that being just like blowing up like oh my god you know so cool yeah edge and you wonder scene. as well like i think that you mentioned that rob in previous episodes the sort of theory about the original uh, uh the original order of songs on the album yeah uh, that that's the one thing where i kind of i wonder if this wasn't premeditated in some way and if they hadn't if they hadn't been thinking about that uh prior to releasing the album because it seems as though it fits uh but yeah. on the other hand uh what what and this is sort of a separate point but what 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 
pops up in my mind when I think about that. Uh, again, it's just the like what must have rehearsals for this thing looked like because they weren't on the road a whole lot prior to this happening. As as you mentioned, the main tour started uh, that week, pretty much. So these are songs that, in part, might be you know this might be their premiere live. Yeah, uh, these are songs that, in part, like waiting for slow songs, they hardly ever played outside of that tour ever again. So you're getting, you know, one of the very few performances of a lot of these songs. Uh, and I wonder, in many cases, you know, what rehearsals must have looked like because they were hitting the ground running. Like there's no hesit- hesitancy per se on on their part. Yeah, um, it's and and there's a, a running sort of gag, I guess, in the in the Stone community that you know this band has just gotten tighter and tighter and tighter and better and better live over the years. But whereas you can argue that starting in 2006 kind of hit, hit its peak when, when Gregory joined, mm-hmm. they're pretty fucking tight in, in 2000 here. Dude, it's off Dude. the chain, man. Like, and I was going to kind of contextualize things a little bit, a little bit here. Obviously they bust into the studio and get between the bridges recorded kind of in haste. They'd just been to Japan in the previous year. There's an opportunity to go to Japan again. And they're just like, we got to get a new record out. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And it's, it's insane to me that this record was kind of, I think per their opinion rushed compared to other recordings and subsequent recordings, because to listen to between the bridges, it's just such a perfect album. Everybody's there. Everybody's now at the equal song level. Um, you know, uh, it could be argued this is that the, this is the first day, eh, pretty much, right? The most yeah, equal, this is the first where they're, that they're point. exactly, yeah. And you could kind of, and we've made arguments on the show before about where each guy kind of really hits his stride, and um, and, and they've all had like classic songs from day one, obviously. But this is one where it's just fully equal. You know, like yeah, everybody's sure. got incredible tunes. Everybody's performing their ass off. And so as much as these songs might be new to them in terms of performance, we're talking about a well-oiled machine here, like 97, 98 and going into 99, they're just playing constantly, you know, and they are, they have been this band now solidly since one chord came out. You know what I mean? Like they have been this iteration of the band with this sort of, you know, archetype in place. And I, and I wanted to say too, how much I really love the use of, minimalism in a sense that they all agreed like okay we're going to use this one i guess it's a Rhodes. does that sound right ken the one that's yeah. sitting there in the yeah. video yeah. you know we're all going to use this one piano you know <laughs> and so all of the songs kind of fit into it's not as though they're pulling out multiple guitars and they're going in a whole bunch of different musical directions all these four guys all just feel like one piece you know like they're mm-hmm. sort of voltron robot is all just like putting itself together and going Great into analogy. battle you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're firing all cylinders, man. It's unreal. It, if I recall correctly, though, the tour, and we saw Rob the show in Ottawa, and you, you would have been to another yes, show sir. before that, but um, it, I think, what, February 20th or February? It was two weeks later, at any rate. Yeah. Um, and I, I recall as well, in comparison to later tours, uh, it was a pretty minimalistic stage setup. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't recall there being a whole lot of schnick-schnack and there might have been like a video screen in the background but i don't remember that yeah, i don't um, remember that for, for yeah. the between the british tour no no exactly no it was uh-huh. very sparse right like yeah like what what would they have had back then they i don't think they really would have anymore. had much so rob <laughs> you and me were at the same show in in your neck of the woods what's that famous tavern called again lulu's we were both at lulu's, lulu's. Right. so yeah. yeah so i'm thinking back to lulu's man and 
I just seem to remember like the the walls at, at Lulu's and, and not really much of you know what was on on stage. But yeah, they really had nothing, right? It was pretty. It was pretty uh, pretty minimalist. And I will say this too. I mean, watching the show and I mean even seeing the guys then and now, uh, you know. Uh, like they really had a firm grasp. And I don't know if this was something that was like a, a, a mental note, like something that was at the front of their mind, but they all are very tastefully dressed too. You know what I mean? Like mm. in the same way that the Beatles would have like, you know, the matching yeah. outfits and stuff. Nobody's in like a, you know, a honk, if you like beer t-shirt or something <laughs> like everybody's in like really muted kind of colors, really nice sort of timeless clothes. But still with like their old accents on it. Like Andrew shirt oh, for is sure. a nice fitting tight. Jay's got the, you know, turtleneck, turtleneck. going on. Chris has yeah. got like, you know, the more like cottony sweatshirt going on. Yeah. 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 And, and Patrick's got the running shoes and stuff. Uh, I do want to mention too, yeah. somebody in the chat asked Jay, what is the button you're wearing? And I don't recall seeing if he, answered but it's of course his red and white keith richards button um which i'm assuming is like because i know he's a big fan of you know rock badges and stuff and so i'm assuming that's like an og button from like back in the day but it's definitely on i want to say that button is in videos and in other artwork and stuff like i've definitely seen it before um so but anyway i wanted to just make a point about these guys being not only musically tasteful and minimalist but they just look awesome you know what i mean like it looks so cool man yeah like and it go, i and remember it goes you were... <laughs> no go ahead no i was just gonna say I, I used to go to shows and be like i want to be wearing that you know like i want to look like i want to look that cool you know oh man i look the way i look because of these guys i'm not gonna lie <laughs> i wasn't trying to look like mccartney i was trying to look like murphy yeah exactly it was yeah it's um yeah they look really cool um but getting back to even what you said, like these these guys are just so good. Like they're they're such these guys are are beyond musicians. Um, mm. Like they they're such artists. Because even even the, this show this show here that we're talking about, it's it's so influenced by like something else. I I don't I don't know if it was C, CBC or YTV. They were doing an interview and they were they were talking about influences and like it was something along the lines of you know like it's you know ingenious steals as opposed to like plagiarizing or something like that like they're very precise in their references and it comes through mm-hmm. all the time and then when you then when you see who they're referencing it's like man that looks so good and now i'm turned on to something else that i like now as well so it's yeah these guys are very deep very, on so many deep levels and this show is another great example of that totally and they're playing this very classic gear too. And I mean, like, I don't know that any of these guys are necessarily total purists when it comes to instruments and stuff, but you wonder, know, they right? just, what do, what do you got? Like what, what, like, like Chris, man, like I've, I've played his bass a few times, like what an honor to play that. And, you know, you look That's at the insane. back and the, the kiss, the, the kiss sticker is on there. I think he's had to replace that maybe <laughs> once or twice. Maybe we actually, that. we posted, he'd, he'd sent, he'd had like a, a photo of the back of his bass from like a year or so ago. Right. And, and I posted it to Sloncast. Yeah, I posted it to Sloncast last year. I, and I did like a little poll at the time. I was like, do we replace the sticker? Like, do we have a petition for him to replace the uh, rock and roll over sticker? I don't think everybody agreed. Just leave it. You know, you can barely see it. it now. But <laughs> where that but, thing uh, yes. been. Yeah, you've you've played that thing. That's insane, dude. That's that's. I have just well. I mean, I I had the great honor and privilege of getting pulled up onto the stage a few times at the end of the shows when they're doing underwhelmed. Yeah. One of which was like I probably said in episode four, 
was was someplace called Dunville, which was cool. They had a festival mm. going on there, and I think Matthew Good, they were co-headlining with him. And yeah. then one of the nights at, at Palais Royale. Dude, you went up on one of the nights at Palais Royale? Yeah, one of the nights at God Palais Royale. You know, it, it'd be it'd be awesome to like tell a fib to people because I'm such a Sloan fan that like, <laughs> well, you know, the bass track that you hear there towards the end of uh, Four Nights at Pally Royal when they're playing Underwhelm, that uh, might be a lick from me on there. But I think how it goes was that that performance was actually from Montreal and Four Nights. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. So I could never get away, even if I I'm a, I try to be very honest. But even even if that was the case, I couldn't get. A, away with that fib but those were the two nights so that was great so so yeah so always seeing chris with that bass is is amazing andrew seems to like i'm, I'm looking at i'm looking at the losing california video right now it seems to be the same gretch mm-hmm. that if that's what it is that he's playing here even um at the side door performance mm-hmm. i want to say something about the gretch and maybe ken can speak to this as a guitar guy um I noticed because in my memory of long time coming that moment where Andrew stands up and, and solos with Patrick and they do the guitar mini, which is like such a great moment on the record and such a killer moment oh, to see live. I remember we were talking about this man. in the previous episode uh, with hollow body guitars like that. I know it's tougher to kind of keep them in tune and the further you go up the neck, it's easy to kind of be a little out of tune. And the guitar mini on this show is like, you can hear it is just like a little tiny bit out. You know what I mean? But it 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 works, you know what I mean? It, it's not this slick, perfect, prefabricated product. It sounds like a real human playing, uh, and it's that kind of stuff that I love in live performances. You know what I mean? Like some of the greatest live albums of all time, you know, have those sort of like little tiny like inconsistencies. And the other thing I want to mention too is how many times they're going like yeah and woo in the show, like. <laughs> Like it, these songs just deserve that enthusiasm, especially in, um, I want to say it's all by ourselves, um, in my head, every time I've heard it for the past, like, I don't know, 10 plus years or whatever, I always hear Chris going, you got me turning and tearing, which is not on the record, obviously, but he sings that part live. And I always was like, I wonder if the original vocal is him saying that you've got me part and they just cut it out of the end, end product. Because uh, it's definitely in this show, and it's one of those sort of like, and I know we have like, there's tons of examples of Sloan songs where there are little things that they add to the song live that are kind of like staples of the live show that's not on the right. record. Like, uh, I'm thinking about Rest of My Life too, where they put in that extra yeah, yeah you know, uh, <laughs> towards the ending of the song. But uh, yeah, there's so much enthusiasm going on here, and like I was just speaking to the tastefulness earlier just in terms of the gear they're playing and the look of it all and the quality of the songs. Like they're just this, at this point in the career, they've reached this perfect picture where everything has kind of come together. You know, everybody's firing all cylinders. They've tasted some pretty serious success for themselves. They, they are now officially, you know, they've, they're a couple albums deep into being like this business that is working. You know, we're going to get to continue to do this as long as we want at this point. Yeah. Making critically acclaimed content, like, like everything just, it's, so, yeah. Yeah. It's around this time too, uh, per that much access uh, thing where they would have, they would have kind of secured their Toronto rehearsal space, which would be from then till now, kind of like their recording studio and that sort of thing. So, you know, it's all under one roof. They're in business for themselves and, you know, we are the benefactors of that. But uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> Another thing I wanted to touch on real quick. Sorry, go ahead, Ron. 
I was just going to say completely ver vertically integrated, if that's what vertically integrated is. <laughs> totally. <laughs> uh, I wanted to mention, too, I, I was kind of curious to see how the show would start because I recall uh, the edit that we did would or that my brother did that I was in the back seat for, obviously. Uh, hey, cut, cut the cut to that camera during that part because that part's really cool. That was me the whole time, um, and he was gracious to actually do that editing. But anyway, um, I was curious because I know we would have edited our own version of friendship because um, there is there is quite a bit of friendship footage with the two takes, and so I was curious to see during the show which edit would be in the final product. And of course, it is the Chris edit from two thousand. Uh, which makes sense for continuity's sake and stuff. Um, I don't even really remember what our edit would have looked like. I'm, I, it certainly wouldn't have been any better than his. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, like that original friendship edit, edit probably is just all of the original footage. I don't know if he would have included anything from the second take, uh, or that the second take had anything else, you know, really different about it. But um, anyway, I just want to kind of point that out there that the Chris edit yeah. is, begins the show and then it kind of turns into the the rest of it as the uh, subsequent edit. But uh, yeah, awesome. <laughs> so I don't think I don't think they they. I'm trying to think if they because I'm 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 looking at I, they do like some good close-ups of Patrick during that. I'm I'm just wondering. I don't think they did anything aside from just laying them play through the songs. Just yeah. Outside. I'm, I'm I'm remembering too. There's a funny part in I want to say it's in Losing California. Well, I was talking earlier about sort of like. And by the way, I'm not dissing anything here at all. Like hearing Andrews Gretsch like slightly out of tune or whatever in that guitar mini part is great. Like I, I love that it, that it's that it that it's there, that it's a human thing. And there's a great part. And I don't know if you noticed this too, Ken. Again, not being a guitar guy, this is me completely guessing. But he has that guitar mini at, at the end of the Losing California solo, and it sounds like in this live show, he can kind of go two ways, up or down, and he kind of chooses right. down. Right. And he kind of has a bit of a laugh at, or somebody laughs, or they kind of, him and Chris, or somebody exchange kind of like a knowing yeah. glance, and they kind of smile. I really liked that. I love seeing like little <laughs> points in the show where they kind of like, you know, something happened there. Connecting, know, like, yeah. A little bit of business happened, and they're too. kind of laughing about it. Oh, I, did he? I okay. A, <laughs> I didn't even yeah, notice. There's but... a club note in there, and it was sort of, sort of, well, I guess we're not going to redo the entire album for that one. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly, I, uh, right? As Chris would would call it a, a clam, I guess. But, uh, right. but and, yeah, and nothing I, like. I was just going to ask a quick question. Like, n none of the audio on this was punched up afterwards. Like, this is all straight from that performance. That's important to note, man. And and this is this is what I wanted to say too. Ken and I were talking about this before we started recording. But, goddamn, do we need like a twelve inch recording of this, man? Like, do we need a release? So what's like, up? Exactly, dude. I would so one hundred. I, mean, I know everybody else dude, would. They could they could push this out. We we could have a, a new video for every song on it <laughs> every day. Come on, let's go. Let's do it. Let's do the clap. Hey hey. <laughs> uh, no, but seriously, man. Like I'm sure you know at some point down the road in you know 2030 we're gonna get like a between white the vinyl. box set or something. White vinyl, yeah, sure. Or sure. Transparent gray. Um, but um, holographic. <laughs> I mean, they've had some really good goodwill and good luck with uh, you know sort of releasing the B sides collections have kind of been coming out over the past couple mm -hmm. of years, and then this past year they released the uh, the, the punk twelve inch with that included everything. Um, you know, so if they if they want to throw anything else out there, I mean, I don't I'm not their business manager, but Jesus Christ, like 
I listened to this show with headphones on and it sounds so fucking good. And I know the guys had mentioned in the chat about the audio kind of being punched up a little bit. Um, So, uh, but it just sounds incredible. And again, you don't really hear a whole, I mean, I'm listening, really listening to it and you don't really hear any like sweetening, you know, you don't really hear any like, uh, what would it be like um, auto tuning or anything like that? Overdubs. Yeah. Which is a classic thing that, you know, Kiss Alive and other, other groups have done in the past. But uh, chronologically, I mean, I know we've had the bootleg live albums come out, the bootleg live 12 inches. But chronologically, I mean, the last official live recording is Four Nights, really, you know? And so this happens right after that. And so I think I'm correct on that. <laughs> so if yeah. they're going to release yeah. another official live album, uh, I would love it for it to be this, like a great little right. addendum. I mean, whether it comes in the Between the Bridges box set or if it comes out as a standalone prior to that, like mm. just the look of it, even the Alive and All Right artwork, which is like that black and white photo of them, on a record, and this is the record. Oh, it dude, so I'm so, so there cool. for it. I, I am and, so there for it. Like, how awesome you know, would that look and sound? Oh, it would be so amazing. And 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 something you were saying earlier, uh, Rob, you were saying like how the band was expressing that this was you know a quickly put together project, etc. But to me, it, it struck me, and I'm kind of surprised to hear hear them say that because at the time, to me, it, it sort of struck me like, yeah, there was actually a lot of attention paid to this. I remember talking to Chris Murphy, especially about the album and that image that you're talking about, like the cover of the album, and yeah. then all the versions of them on the inside, at least in the CD. And <laughs> I, I just remember him bragging to me about, you know, how many dots per inches they had to get it to make it look good like that and stuff. And I remember referencing it like at one point, like afterwards, and he he, he thought I was making fun of him exactly um for all of you who, ca- who cannot see rob is uh, demonstrating this album right now like so cool man like i th- i thought this was so cool and then in the cd as well maybe th- they had different versions but at least in the one that i have it's it's transparent and you can still see them underneath where the cd would go as well That's right, and i yeah, just yeah. remember chris saying like yeah we like he was like th- this was like a concerted like f- effort like we're involved i'm sure they were before as well but they- he seemed pretty proud and honestly this it's it's definitely tied for first for for my f- favorite album from them and i and i feel it's such a good bookend and closer to this particular part in their career yeah. it, it's such a, it's such an incredible era for a band um for a collection of works like i feel like they're all cohesive from smeared all the way up and especially for the big three that for for me that's that's one chord into navy blues and this like what a trilogy hmm. Hmm. good point man i mean like Thinking ahead in time, it's kind of remarkable that these same four dudes from this performance a year later are releasing Pretty Together, which is another Mm. classic Sloan album, and it's amazing, but it sounds completely different. I mean, it's it's still there under the sort of rock archetype. The instrumentation is similar and so on, and it's those same four singers, but as a record, Pretty Together in Between the Bridges couldn't be less alike you know like uh, in, yeah, that's in the, the influence overall. of um that's the influence of geary street right like that's the that's the practice space that's, the that's practice it space right honestly right that that's cool you're not you're not on the clock at chemical or you're not on the clock anywhere you're you know you have the time to noodle around and figure stuff out that oh, maybe takes a little bit longer sound. to gestate right yeah. and that uh, and that's that's pretty together for you and then they go in an opposite direction for action packed but apart from action packed like I would, I would claim that you know, Commonwealth Twelve sound more like pretty together than, 
than they do any any of the earlier albums, right? Yeah, agreed. But Ron, you said it, man. Like looking at that band from the cafeteria in February '91 or whatever it is. Was it January, February '91? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, up through Smeared and and so on to arrive at this place in early 2000 after Between the Bridges, they've just been recording and on the road solidly. They're this like hardcore working band with all of this taste, you know, the fact that it's shot in black and white, like I never want to see this footage in color ever again. You know what I mean? Like it's just so tasteful and they're this perfect little machine. Like that was the one thing I loved. I remember the promo photos on their official website around the time of the album. I think we're all taken at the losing California video. It's them kind of in their different iterations. The universal photos. Yeah. There's the J at the keys. There's Andrew at the keys, uh, you know, whatever. And I just loved that this little package the the drum set the two guitar amps the bass amp the roads that's the that's the whole thing you know what i mean that's everything and every song is going to be some combination of those things depending on the singer um I like that just sort of like the lim- the, the the minimalism the limitation kind of cr- create the uh you know creative spark or whatever and yeah. yeah i just yeah. i remember at the time being so transfixed by that and this is i, I will admit this it was those photos <laughs> at the time because <laughs> on the because you never really got a really solid look at andrew's setup but those between the bridges promo photos you could really kind of zoom in and look at it up close and see how every, right. like the heights of all his shit i remember printing mm-hmm. that out and going to my drum kit and like measuring it and being like okay his tom is an inch higher than his snare i, I fucking went bananas like that <laughs> i hope i'm not alone hopefully there's other some fan drummers out there who are doing the same kind of critique. <laughs> I don't think you're alone. Well, he did reduce his symbol height later in his career, so it would have been a, it would have been a yeah. I, this is another episode for another time. We'll go we'll go hog wild on Sloan gear and stuff, and I'm yeah. happy to talk about you know symbols and all that stuff, <laughs> the setup and stuff. But but uh, yeah, super cool, man. Anyway, yeah. so let's quickly, if you guys don't mind, maybe we can quickly flip through the set and just have a quick chat about that because. They obviously start off with friendship. I love that it opens with the guitar. Like I don't know what you would call that sound. Like the it's the sound that's at the beginning of the track, like the wiener and a winer, wiener, wiener. You know a, what I'm talking a about? Wah. Yeah, it's a wop. <laughs> of course it is. Um, and I remember Ken and and Ron. Maybe you, can, you guys can kind of confirm this that that was the intro of the show at the time too, right? Did they not I walk out to that? It sounds like it, right? Like I'm I'm picturing like a dark stage that sound going and then them coming out to it. Yeah, and then and then the song that kind of fades out when they bam boom because yeah, I think those right? shows started with friendship if I if I'm if I recall. Um, anyway, so that is that's how they Good open question. the show, and it's such a great way to start the show, like right, like a rocket launch, go blam right into friendship, which is such a killer song, um, and that. Uh, shoots right into all by ourselves as you would as you would rec- if you for those who've seen for the years and years the friendship video uh, and Chris said in the chat during the perf- uh, the, the the viewing um, that you know here is <laughs> that that we've all heard it go nowhere until now and now it's actually going somewhere it's going into all by ourselves um, and then uh, which and that just slams right into don't you believe a word like these first few songs here the first three are just bam 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 they like right in a, like they, they they hit right into each other no break uh mm-hmm. and then andrew dips into the ns and ns goes right into and i love how close and how warmly 
the the uh, like the right into long time coming like a perfect segue beautiful now here's the thing i don't i'm looking at the set list for the ottawa show on the 19th um and they it's a similar order they do friendship all by ourselves they do waiting for slow songs and then the ns a long time coming i i don't remember them transitioning from ns into long time coming live uh, so I'm not sure if they kept that up for the tour, but it just sounded so, I mean, they rehearsed it obviously, but it sounded like it was meant to be. It certainly did. Yeah. Like I almost, when I was listening to it again this week, I was like, it sounds like Patrick's maybe not even playing the final seconds of NS so that he can be there for that intro riff. Like, yeah, right. That's um, key. Yeah, it's hard to tell, but uh, yeah, it's and it is kind of hard. To, I mean, it is possible that some editing. I mean, I, I recall when we were editing it, we were definitely warm with the transitions. I don't remember every little detail or whatever, but I remember like the transition into sensory deprivation. I think there was a bit of tightening there, for example. But, um, but of the transitions that you actually see occurring in the show, I mean that 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 uh, transition from yeah. NS into Long Time Coming seems pretty natural to me, uh, and sounds amazing. Uh, and then speaking of sensory, uh, you know, they, they pop out of long time coming. And then the next, it's like, there's a beat. And then Andrew like rips into sensory deprivation and, uh, God, man, I mean, like they still play that one to this day. And I remember seeing in the chat last week, a lot of people saying like, man, this was the highlight, like seeing sensory yeah, deprivation. Yeah, man. Right. Yeah. That was always a standout, man, and it always broke up the. It always, yeah, it, it would break up the set. So yeah, so I'm I'm coming reacquainted with even what the set list was was back then, because I would have sworn like they would have like played it live, like the, the album version for some reason. I was I'm probably just so used to listening to that album from top to bottom and mm-hmm. thinking about the the taping and stuff. Um, but yeah, but that that song always stood out, and like man, sometimes they would just let it go. I swear they would play it for 20 minutes. I'm, mm. I'm sure I'm, exa- I'm I'm sure I'm exaggerating, but when they would like really, and Andrew would just begin so sassy on that guitar and yeah, the break if, would go, the breakdown would go for like, and I, then so, finally someone would like pull it in kind of thing, you know? It's so great. And I mean, we got to tip our hats too, to everybody here. Like, I mean, obviously sensory is like a great example of like some amazing guitar work by Andrew, but everybody's firing on all cylinders. Murph back there on the drums, Jay's killing it on the bass. Like I, I, I know. And, and Patrick as well. I really noticed when I listened to the mix here, you could really hear everybody with incredible clarity. And I'm hearing things that I didn't hear on the album, you know what I mean? Like little tasteful yeah. moments and things that are maybe being ad-libbed or whatever. Yeah. Um, and the thing that really struck me too, listening to it again this week, a bunch is the Andrew songs where Jay's on the bass and I'm just really enjoying Jay on the bass. You know what I mean? Like mm. not that I haven't before, but it really stuck out to me in this mix. Cause you're yeah, hearing so Andrew's, totally awesome. Andrew's bass lines there and the bass was up pretty high in the mix for the, <laughs> for the show. Right. It's usually, I mean, yeah, the totally, bass is usually kind of in the, you know, it's, it's hard in some cases, it's hard to hear the bass out in the mix and oh, on the, sure. on the album version, but for like, for the live show, I think they did a really good job of, of getting that bass up there dialing that in yeah so big musical tip of the hat to everybody here and then i believe if i'm not mistaken the first applause break is after sensor deprivation which is like what? six six songs in <laughs> you know like what? everything's just yeah, like bam right? bam 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 
I think we're all uh, trying to be on our best behavior to try to like let them like run through. Like we were all like feeling like okay, this is serious. Film is rolling. Like let's just let's just go. I can't quite remember what uh, if we were if we were asked to maybe hold applause. That was going to be my question because the, the applause, similar to the original Zeppelin footage, you know, is very tempered. It's just like oh, look, like golf clap. You know what I mean? So I was going to ask you if you recall anybody saying like, okay, we're going to keep it. You know, as much as you guys want to jump up, and that's the other funny thing yeah. from the chat that I remember. People were like commenting on how stoic the audience is. Like, how are you people all just sitting there? You know what I mean? Like, because these guys are just killing it. Oh man, we were just, we were so happy to be there. We were always in awe of these guys, and. Yeah, I think we just felt very privileged to be there and very happy and having a good time. And we didn't want to mess it up by, you know, uh, <laughs> screaming or doing something. It's like we wanted these to be, uh, they were, I, I'm sure they were looking for these to be like really good takes of these songs. And I think like, like when, when do you get like a, a band doing a video shoot and they actually take the performance from that video and use it in the music video? Like yeah. the only other band I can think of doing that, like like no other band does that. Like I mean, I was I was at the, um, um, you know, the Lines You Amend video shoot, and they were playing live. But yeah. you know, on the in the video, you hear the LP version, and the only other band I can think of doing that is like Nirvana. They've they've got their aneurysm like from the Muddy Banks of the Wishka version that they release, and it's actually a, a live performance they use instead of the LP version. But Sloan are so cool. Like I, I wonder the decision making involved with like yeah, you know what let's make a video for this and we're going to use the live performance. We're going to make it that good and release it instead of using the LP version. It's pretty cool. Well, like they said in the, in the, the Sony footage in 2005 on the DVD, Chris is like, well, our plan was we spent a ton of money on losing California, uh, which is, which if I recall <laughs> the initial idea, was it for it to be maybe a little like the matrix maybe, you know, or like <laughs> bullet <laughs> time. Yeah. Like the agent Smith's, but instead of like all these different, uh, you know, Agent Smith, it's like the guys in the, the different iterations of Sloan or whatever. Um, but, uh, well, you know, been the same, that would have been the same year. Matrix came out the same year. Yeah. 99. Matrix was like 99. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're kind of maybe being a little inspired there. Or maybe that was just like an off the cuff comment that somebody made. But anyway, so the idea here was, you know, let's be economical about it and we're not going to spend too much money. And we're going to also deliver something that you don't see every day, especially on much music in the late two, late nineties, early two thousands, which is live performance with actual real audio. Cause these guys can do it, you know, and not every band can, yeah, can yeah. hang like that. Um, and so you know, it's this... wild to me that, that, that much music didn't go for it. It's, it's insane to me today that that didn't, wasn't a thing. Um, yeah. but it's being appreciated now, which is awesome to see. I don't know why they wouldn't have gone for it. And I, and I think about that t to this day at the time I thought like, man, this is brilliant. Like, and I was thinking like, wow, man, we're going to see all of these videos on much music, man. They, you know, the wedge was on daily at that point and throw, throw up a new video every day, you know, oh, that would have been wild. I mean, it would have been crazy for, to, for that to have happened. And then at the time, like we obviously get secondhand news around then just within the year or so before that. Um, and, uh, you know, for this to be, have been released then, I mean, again, going back to the, what the concept here and, and the reality of the situation, Murph is editing this himself at home, as he says in that interview, you know what I mean? And he's got to go to yeah. for tour in a week. And so there really is no time. They're just so right. like on the ball and so busy. Um, so it's kind of a blessing and a curse. Like it didn't come out then. And now in retrospect, we have it as this document, it's out, uh, 
you know, and with today's technology, I know that they sharpened it a little bit and they kind of up to the audio and stuff. And I mean, we get yeah. this perfect, great digital artifact of them at this incredibly powerful time in their career. And, yeah. um, and after that first applause break, we go into edge of the scene at the edge of the scene, which, uh, you know, we've kind of speculated on the show too, about, you know, the original track list of between the bridges, which is kind of anybody's guess. I remember Murphy in an interview saying ah. something about that, that the NS was, musically sixth or seventh, but thematically first. And I think, <laughs> I think I've heard that. Yeah. And I think they wanted to kind of be a little different and kind of start the album on a different note, um, a minor note. And uh, uh, yeah. And so, so it's, it's, I remember too, like, I'll never forget, like, I think I've said this on the show too, but I mean, at the time, Amazon music or amazon.com or whatever would give you like a little 10 second preview of the song, like a month or two before the album came out. And I remember clicking on it going like, okay, this is the first song. And you hear it's like a slow, like slap back kind of vibe. Mm. And I remember just being like, oh my God, I love it. I loved that they start started with kind of like a down tempo number. Like, mm. oh, so great. <laughs> but uh, Edge of the Scene, getting back to that, an incredible classic B-side. And, oh uh, you know, God, if, if yeah. you didn't see it on this tour, oh I don't think you've seen it since. <laughs> and to see it performed here, uh, with such right. gusto, such a classic song. Like, it's amazing to me that, oh, I, I mean, I guess this didn't make the album just because maybe thematically or musically it didn't fit or whatever. But Dude, that's one of my fave songs of theirs. And do, do you know, and this is how it speaks to a band. I could name a million songs from these guys. Obviously a million, because they have a million. They're the best. I totally forgot about Edge of the Scene, man. And 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 to hear that pull get pulled out, it's like, man, I totally forgot that this could have possibly been on that album. Anyway, mm. sorry to interrupt, Rob. Well, no, I was going to say, I think musically, <clears throat> with it being before or, or going into So Beyond Me, one can assume that this would have been the album opener at some point. And I think perhaps it wasn't just because, you know, of the J songs, maybe his other songs just sort of fit in a bit better or like Murph is saying in that interview from the time they wanted to kind of start on a downer note, you know, and then from there you can't really fit edge of the scene in anywhere else. But uh, it's great in that it does really feel like an opener. Like it's got Jay kind of telling the story of each member of the band, introducing the idea of each individual person. Um, I think that's really interesting. And it's a, it's a killer rocker, like of the J nineties oh, output, man. this has got to be for me, like top five J for sure. And it's not even on one of the records, you know, like, Agreed. um, but it would kind of, you know, fill that place that we normally expect, like, you know, good in everyone. She says, she means like that kind of raucous album opener. This totally fills that quotient for sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, so cool to see it performed here. And again, like I mentioned earlier, that moment at the end when Jay stands up from the roads, throws his guitar on in like in over the course of like an eight count, stands up, mm-hmm. puts his guitar on, steps over and hits the pedal and starts playing like within yeah. like five seconds. What yeah, a killer man. moment, man. And then they, they really rock into that outro. And then out of that fucking crazy outro, Andrew's like, yet another thing that it didn't know yeah. fucking so beyond me. Um, and hearing so beyond me, like I just said, is an indication that edge of the scene could have worked as an original album intro. Um, and then from there, yeah, it, right. <laughs> how long, what's that track? What, what's the track in? What, what, how long is it? Edge of the scene, edge of the scene. 
Uh, I'd have to it's look. Over, it's definitely over four minutes. Yeah, like, like is, with, it, is it is it is it a tad longer? Is it closer to five? It could be. Yeah, I I, I would have to. Look it's it got up. a lot going on. That song's got some great changes, man. Like how yeah. it goes from the start to the end, man. Like totally. It like, starts what? with that like low key Chris intro, which is great too. I love that Chris opens up a J song. You know what I mean? Mm. Like he's got that little button at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he comes back with the little bridgey part in the middle. Um, and and again, oh we're God. talking about and and Chris is vocally all over edge of the scene as well too. You know what I mean? Like I love in this period we've been talking about how t- tasteful they were. Everybody's really sharing vocal duty, you know, and that kind of mm. really comes in with the next song, which is waiting for slow songs. Andrew is like the the prime backing vocalist here yeah. from the drums, and yeah. he's playing fucking sixteenth yeah. notes on the hi hat. Yeah, and for anybody Just who plays drums, is like he's running four hundred meters while singing. You know, and they talk yeah. about <laughs> Beyonce when she was a kid. Her dad would like drive a truck around with her you know, tied to the back of it and she's singing into a microphone while she's running so she can get used to being like out of breath and hitting the notes. And, uh, you know, Andrew might as well be riding a fucking bike (laughs) in a marathon and singing if he's performing that way. Like it's a, it's a physical feat to do that. So cool to see in here, man. And then we get another little second applause break here. And then we go right into, Oh, put your hands up in the air. Marquee in the moon. Holy shit. You know, like, we 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 don't get summers my season in this performance, and we don't get summers my season on the record. And that's another classic B side. Um, but we yeah. do get Marquee on the Moon, and I think we've talked on the show, Ken, about this before. I mean, for me, Marquee on the Moon was like the standout track when it came out. Yeah, yeah. agreed. I love it so much. And like, I mean, they did they play much on this tour? I guess they, they did. did, right? Yeah, yeah, they would. Sure. It, it was it was Chris on guitar. It was mostly good. It was mostly a guitar. How would they have done it? I think I'm they would have done it on the tour, similar to how we see them doing it here with him on the yeah. keys. On roads, yeah. Um, but again, the record is recorded in a fashion where, you know, they're playing, they're all playing their sort of primary instrument on the recording. Like Chris is playing that Rhodes part and stuff. Um, so it just sounds so great live hearing it in this show, you know, hitting, hearing them hit into it in this show. It's just like, Oh yeah, there it is. You know, like there's no mystery about what we're hearing here. And it's not like the performance is lacking in any way. Uh, If anything, the performance of these songs, I would say kind of almost even best the album recording itself, which is what's super, super cool and exciting about a live recording, you know? Yeah. You know, whether you're talking about live at Budokan or Kiss Alive or something like it's those live records that really pull the strength of the songs out, you know, and these guys are doing that here for sure. Yeah. That pops out on all by ourselves, I think for yeah. for me that's the one where it's like where you can really kind of hear how how andrew's pushing the song like he's mm-hmm. he's just ahead of the beat he's got the charlie watts thing going on and that's like that four on the floor and all by and all by ourselves it's yeah. just so powerful it's such a nice song I we can do a it. whole show on, on andrew playing drums on this show Jesus. yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> absolutely that's yeah, i love that song so much their their vocals are so tight um just just how it culminates there at the end before it goes into say what you want about me oh yeah people were oh, also man. commenting a lot on the on the interweaving harmonies yeah Patrick, man Chris, especially that song really especially nothing's for shoulders for sure however the lyric is that's how i always remember it and <laughs> it's, it's just all of them like oh yeah it's like 
I would have killed to be a fly on the wall during the vocal rehearsal because I got to assume they're doing separate vocal rehearsals here. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Where they're kind of going through like, okay, at this point, I'm going to sing the main. You're going to sing this because if you look at somebody like Murph, he's kind of singing the main and then he sings like the harmony. And then in some instances, he sings like the main, then the harmony, then the higher harmony, like the fifth or something. Like there are moments where they're really jumping around. Mm-hmm. Um you know, for example, when Andrew would take over like the lead or something and don't you believe a word or uh, uh, take good care of the poor boys. Another one where Chris and Andrew kind of share the primary chorus vocal. Uh, yeah, it's super cool, man. Like, and we're about to get to that point in the show, too. I was going to say after Marquee and the Moon, they slam into what, what would have been at the time their like single on the radio, which is Losing California. Uh, which they would have been playing live on TV. We've seen tons of clips of them playing it on TV and stuff. And it's the song that they would eventually play on Conan O'Brien and Conan. I was about to say, man. (laughs) Yeah, man. 99 was a big year. Totally. Yeah. And I think the joke is tall. Conan is tall. He is so tall. Seeing him come up to the band afterwards and seeing like him stand beside the band. I think Chris was given a couple kicks. I don't, I can't remember what was going on. Chris is, is, is hamming it up big time and Conan doesn't yeah, settle right? down, which I love. <laughs> oh my God. Could you imagine a couch interview with Murph and Conan together, like trading oh barbs and going back and forth? He, Holy dude, shit. Yeah. They, they never brought him on. What did they do? Did they just go to the end? They just, that was the end of the show. I, I'm pretty sure they closed. It was the end of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He did. They come credits, back from yeah. commercial and he just, nope. he thanks them. No, and that's no time it. for, yeah. yeah, no time for, no, for the couch sit. <laughs> that would have been insane to have can remind me have i told my conan story on here is it is it an appropriate time to do that or should i just shut yeah, up go yes. for it. so <laughs> it's like 2002 my girlfriend and i at the time go to new york city because we've got this friend whose girlfriend's like oh i'm good friends with tina fey and we'll go we'll be in the audience at snl and we're like okay great that sounds amazing get there we find out that friends with tina fey means she's written her some fan letters <clears throat> and so we show up at 30 rock and the whole time we're we're driving there, she's just like, oh, it's okay. We'll just hang out at 30 Rock. And then when it's time to line up for the show, we'll just line up and go in. I'm like, great. I can sit on a, I'll sleep on a couch in the 30 Rock lobby. No problem. That's great. We get there. Once you go into 30 Rock, you can't stop walking. Like if you stop for a second to like look at something, security comes up and goes, keep walking. So we're waiting outside on the street for the standby audience for Saturday Night Live. And you can't sit either. And you have to be there for like upwards of 24 hours before they tape to maybe get in. Right. And I'm just like, Oh, this went from being like awesome to like complete hell, like really quick. But uh, the one cool thing that happened was there was, uh, do you remember in, in uh, almost famous, there's the kid walking around with the marker, like, you know, 10 minutes ago, he touched this marker, like the Led Zeppelin fan. Oh, that who's was like Jay Baruchel. Dave, Jay Baruchel's character who just kind of knows everything and is, is everywhere. That kid for real was at 30 rock and he had a binder. He had binders of photos of him with celebrities coming in and out of 30 rock and getting them signed and stuff. And it wasn't as though he was a fan of any of these people because there was no narrative. Like he just had pictures of like with everybody, you know, Kathy Lee and also, you know, King Kong Bundy, whatever, you know, he had pictures with everybody, but he, he was a fun resource. And I'm sorry that I'm straying so much from the narrative here, but this is a fun, this is a funny story. He's like, who do you want to meet? And we were like, fuck, let's meet Conan. We want to meet Conan. He's like, okay, perfect. He finishes filming every day at five. So at five fifteen go into 30 rock, go around that corner where the security is out the other side of the building. You'll see there's like a pop machine stand to the right of the pop machine at exactly five sixteen, And the security guy who normally stands at that door will go for his break and he'll go around the corner. 
And if you wait for 60 seconds, Conan will walk right past you before he goes to his car. And we're like, what the fuck are you talking about? So we do it and we go inside and we go around the security desk. We go around the corner and there's the pop machine. We stand next to it. Security guy, of course, walks away. We're like, whoa. And now we're by ourselves in this little corridor and we're waiting and we're like, are we going to get kicked out? It felt like really tense for a second, like Mission Impossible. And fucking sure as not sure enough, here comes Conan right around the corner. And it's us and him alone in this little corridor before he walks out to his car. And we're like, hey, Conan. And he's like, oh, hey. And I was like, can we get a photo with you? Sure. Where are you guys from? Oh, Canada. I love Canadians. Yeah. And he did the and everything. The tallest <laughs> dude ever. The nicest dude ever. Anyway, that's my Conan Good story. To hear. That's awesome. uh, so that was the highlight of the trip. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so... I got a blurred picture with him as well from, from much music. He was there when he was filming in Toronto. Right. Much music said no cameras at all inside. Conan doesn't hates them. Doesn't like them. Meanwhile, he's in front of a camera every night, especially right. it's going to be in front of one in Toronto. Anyways, I snuck mine in and my friend took one without the flash. So I got this much photo of me and Conan. Oh, nice. Who also looks like he's like this much taller than me. Yeah. He was <laughs> enormous. I think he still is enormous. But uh, anyway, getting back Welcome to Welcome to the next episode of Conan Cast. Hey, all right. <laughs> we got to get him on. He's episode 55, which will be right after the four <laughs> episodes about Four Nights of the Palo Royale featuring Ron, Lucy Ron. Uh, I'm but anyway, there. I'd love to. <laughs> let's do Don't it. Let's book it. Anymore. You're booked. Yeah, I'm quit booked. interrupting, man. Who's in charge here? Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, after losing yes, California, uh, they slam into Taking Care of the Poor Boy, which is, again, like... <sighs> Such a great song on the record, and not one they really pull, but they pull out live all that often. Um, but such a powerful performance here. Like hearing Jace, like I was saying earlier, yeah. swap back and forth with Murph and Andrew doing the lead vocals. Like such a rocking song. God, that song kicks ass. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, oh, I, I mean, for those who know, it's about Rufus Wainwright. Um, yes, he had toured with them within the within that year, and Jay, I guess, was sort of somewhat inspired and and kind of tipped his hat to Rufus in that song great song and then so for the remainder of the record other than losing california and marky moon being flipped the rest of the performance is, is the rest of the album which uh mm. culminates with delivering maybes yes and uh, what to say about this one like <laughs> again we've reached a point in in, in the ni- in late 90s where everybody's fully contributing and andrew's songs on this record like you know ns and sensory and delivering maybes are just like some of the top sloan songs ever in the canon Hmm. um and delivering maybe is just so great like a nice rocker um vocals are insane uh love the guitar playing and it's got that awesome outro, you know, and yeah. it's oh, funny. Yeah. I'm watching and maybe you can uh, give us some intel here, Ron, if you guys were sort of cued to start singing because the audience towards the end of the performance, like they were doing on, I mean, they would eventually do this on tour. This yeah. was obviously recorded yeah. prior to the tour because the tours would end up and maybe this was the impetus for that happening. I don't know. But because on that tour, they would end, you know, or the original set with this song and then kind of come back for the encore. Um and you see the audience start to kind of do the song in the round at the end. And you can see Patrick's face. He's kind of like laughing about it. He's kind of like surprised mm. that this is sort of suddenly occurring. So I don't yeah. know if this was planned because you see Murph from the drums kind of, you know, uh, directing traffic a little bit. Do you, do you recall it all? Yeah, I think, I think so for sure. I think, I don't think so for sure, but I seem to recollect that it was like, yeah, you guys are going to take us out kind of thing. Like, mm. 
like sing along and stuff. It's yeah, it's that's what a great performance. One of my oh my god, every song's my favorite on that album. And I I think that was it. Yeah, I think it was just keep singing, keep singing it, keep doing it, you know. And yeah. I think we I think we did it for a while afterwards just so they could get enough footage and mm. I, I I would always sing uh, delivering babies and stuff and <laughs> and awesome. I yeah, it was awesome. Oh, delivering babies. I don't even know, like, how, like the, it's it's just delivering babies the entire time, right? He goes back like, and forth, right? That's I think the lead yeah. goes back and forth. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's cool to see it. At the and end. It's cool how it's like inter and and, and the crowd. It, it's like it is even interplayed like in the crowd a bit. Like it's it's a different volume. Like it's just so it was just so beautiful. It was just nice. Like I'm I'm picturing it in my mind in my head right now and. Um, yeah, it just seemed to be. Yeah, I just have this this fuzzy recollection in my mind of like this just perfectly lit dark room with all of us there. We're all black and white, of course, now, and and then just that that sound going on. But yeah, like that. That's even how it would be live. Like how how they could command an audience to do the the types of things. Like even the even slow on like classic. Like they get. <laughs> I, so I think it was to answer your your question in in, in the long form. I think they told us to keep going. You see, for Chris, a while like that. yeah, like once you once you guys in the audience start singing it, Murph jumps up from the drums and kind of like cheerleads everybody into the end. He even yeah. kind of goes over to the to the other section who's doing the the response side and kind of strengthens their vocal a little bit, if you will. Um, it yeah, always it always right. made my <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. No, no, that's right. Now I'm just remembering as as you're as you're speaking about it. You're filling in the gaps for me. No, I love awesome. at the end of the show too how he's kind of like walking along the audience and kind of just like putting his hand to his ear, like kind of having fun. It's like such a cool moment. Yeah, uh, and it always made my my eyes go crossed where Murph ends up singing the second vocal during the outro choruses. So. Like he's playing drums and his one beat is maybe it's not that bad now on and on. Cause he's the response side to Andrew's lead. Yeah. Vocal. Right. And right. so it was always so funny as a drummer to think about filling on, you know, maybe it's not that bad now. Like that's the right? part that's sort of like the one in the count. I don't know if that mm. makes any sense from a musical perspective, but I always respected that the fact that he's now singing the song slightly backwards a little and against right. your, you know, your nature intuition in, sure. against your intuition. Thank you. Um, but anyway, that that's how the show kind of, it goes to black. And I remember our version of the credits might've been, we may have received direction from them and given some photos because leading up to the show, um, they were posting stuff on Instagram, like these great black and white photos of, you know, Chris at the keys during Marky and the moon and mm. of each yeah. guy in, in position. I recall the original outro and credits having those photos in them. Um, and I think there was talk of that outro remaining, but I think at the end of the day, they ended up with a nice just sort of scroll, a very tasteful scroll, kind of coming back to the tastefulness of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I got to tell you guys, man, like I know that I'm playing like the most infinitesimally small you know, part in this whole thing, but watching the outro, and I mean, I've been looking at Sloan Records and stuff and like, pouring over the credits and whose name is in there. I even saw in the, in the ending credits, uh, Jeremy Bates, who's somebody, uh, who's a buddy of mine from back in the day. He's a music manager. He's actually the original manager of the band, the killers. Um, okay. and he's listed really? here, which I hadn't noticed. I, I was looking at the credits. I was like, Jeremy Bates, that's gotta be the same guy. Cause he's from Toronto. 
Mm-hmm. But uh, to see my name in the Between the Bridges font <laughs> listed as one of the That's editors awesome. was just a complete so mind-blowing cool. experience. Very cool, man. Insane. Congrats for that for sure, right? <laughs> I'm, again, it's like me and the guy who like got the coffee or like probably on on par or whatever, if in terms of importance. But uh, nonetheless, uh, a well, total like you honor. said, it's a, it's it's a well-oiled machine, and every part it's gestalt all over the place. <laughs> for sure, hundred percent. Yeah, percent. So it was. It's such a nice... and... No, go ahead. Sorry, Ken. No, you, you go. I was just about to say, um, getting back to Marquee and the Moon for a second, I, I seem to remember seeing them play live, and it's probably in subsequent years, where Chris actually is playing that on guitar. Really? Okay. I, I suppose that's possible. That would make sense. I'm to ask him about that. Hope, hope I... So would it have been him playing it on guitar, like, solo? Or... Just by himself, yeah, I think okay. so, yeah. Okay, so I maybe like a... like it was. I was thinking it might have been the marquee in Halifax. Like, how cliche would that be, right? But um, I don't think I saw a Sloan <laughs> at the marquee play there. I, th- I think I'm confused. I, I saw Joel Plaskett play there about 10 or 12 years ago. Cool, cool. He went. He actually Joel Plaskett. He went, and it was during his um, his triple album. Oh, what was the name of that album again? Three, three. Yeah, yeah. There you go. His triple album <laughs> called Triple, called Three. And he actually went, and his dad came on stage and performed as well. And at one point, like he came out looking quite like scruffy. I think he had a beard, and he actually went during the intermission for the show, shaved the beard off, and came back out and did babyface Joel for the rest of it. <laughs> so, anyways. Yeah, that was wild. That's, that's called performance art. That's called, that's called performance <laughs> art. Plaskett, what a, what a great, great, great dude. I didn't see them play, unfortunately. They played here in Toronto a few years ago at the Danforth Music Hall. Mm. And like, I never would have thought these guys would have a reunion again. I, I, for, the, I don't, uh, for the Clayton Park yeah, uh, reunion oh, tour. It got totally sold out. And I don't even think I was in Toronto, unfortunately. But but you know what? Those, those game back to, I think you were referencing earlier, their, uh, their farewell farewell tour back back in the days right yes. that was, it was great to see that they played i think a couple like goodbye shows at in, in toronto back then and they, mm. they would even do in the back of the film they would do that twice and i even think they would play it back to back sometimes i remember them I, I think i remember them doing that that night anyways i digress well speaking of the end of the show um <clears throat> we have that footage of of the guys from ottawa in 2000 and i think it was like that the week of the show, I was just like, "Oh my god, we should like put that up or whatever." So we kind of bootlegged it. Uh, essentially, the 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 video that I'm referring to is the one that we we posted after this show went live of Chris doing "Summer's My Season" at the Ottawa or sorry at the Montreal rather uh, encore, which is on Instagram now. If you guys want to go check it out at Songcast, great performance. It's, the audience is insane. It opens up with the camera coming out and the audience is just r- singing the round of delivering maybe the outro. And then Chris is kind of hot dogging his way onto the stage and dancing and, you know, electric circus dancing with the guitar tech and stuff. And, you know, every, every line he sings in the song gets a big woo and stuff. And I, I love that performance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I thought it was appropriate to kind of include that with the showing of the, with the airing rather of this performance, because it they kind of go hand in hand. So, um, totally, so yeah, totally agree with you. And during, <laughs> during that tour between the bridges, did they, that wasn't a standard on the set list, was it? It, it was, they, they would I, do the, they would start the yeah, encore with Like that. looking at the set list, it seems as though summer's my season is the encore opener. Like he, like that Chris would come back out and do that. And then they would slam into, you know, whatever else. 
Um, would they have played at Massey Hall, do you think, for the, they between did. the Bridges tour? Yeah, they did. That was, uh, um, let me think, that would have been end of March or something like that. Uh, it would have been at towards the end of the sort of Canadian or Ontario leg. Yeah, like it been for after sure. Ottawa, that, sure. That was a that was a great show. I remember I remember them playing it there at that show, but I thought that was something special just because it was it was Massey Hall. Yeah, no, I was at Massey for sure. You were there too. Have we talked about I that before? I was there. Yeah, I, I don't know if we have, man. See, dude, what? <laughs> um, yeah, I was, and I remember. I remember couldn't can't get first row unfortunately they were gone in five seconds but i got first row balcony and that sort of began my love affair with anytime massey hall show first row balcony i saw pulp like that it was amazing and then subsequent years when when sloan last played massey hall i made sure to get i got the i got first row balcony again it's awesome do you know as good as beating on the floor but however (laughs) do you know if you're in that video i think it was southern souls or somebody did a video of that massey hall show and it came out a few years ago. We're talking about like the 2015 Massey performance. Is that what it was? was I'll send it to you. We should see if you're in there because it's a great performance. But anyway, blah, blah, blah. I digress now. Um, yeah, <laughs> I was I was like mid-floor for Massey Hall. And I remember I was actually in front of Matt Murphy. <laughs> so it was like, I think I want to say Matt Murphy and somebody else was behind me. Uh, so that was kind of cool. <laughs> they they opened the show and then would have kind of snuck to their seats to watch the slump performance, which is really cool. Dude, I like the fact that cool. they... And, and- that's another cool thing about Sloan shows. You love the band, but who else is going to be there that night? You know, dude. I was just going to say, I met up with all of my Sloan chat friends at that Massey show. Like, I met so what? many people. Like, I'm trying to remember who was all there. Like, the Sloan, the Sloan Camp twins were there with their sister, and who else? Bonnie oh from. Does anybody God. remember Bonnie from Boston? I think her name is Bonnie Solomon. That, Maybe she's I would listening. Like <laughs> Bonnie, please reach out. Yeah, I had I had somebody reach out to me from New York City actually asking me some some details um, at some point last year I think it mm. was and uh, asking me if I still spoke to certain people. They better and not be starting I, I, a Sloan podcast, I'll tell you that. Just they kidding. better, dude. I wouldn't, dude, man. I I'm here, I'm with you guys, hundred <laughs> percent. But yeah, but you you never know who would be there, and and that was great because Toronto would always pull in these fans where the band wouldn't maybe be able to get out to as you know. It's hard to hit, you know, 500 cities in North America, I'm sure. Yeah, dude. Well, it was it was an amazing time. And uh, yeah, I remember, like I've said, I think on the show before, like my one of my major memories of that Massey show was Chris doing the Philip Seymour Hoffman telephone monologue from Magnolia. Like at some oh, point he came to the front of the stage and did the, yeah, do yeah, you guys yeah, have any yeah. uh, peanut butter? Like he did the whole thing verbatim. Uh, <laughs> I love it. But uh, <laughs> these guys, man, with their clever references, I love it. Yeah, so cool. Well, anyway, why don't we tie a tie a bow on this one? Uh, any any oh, sort of no. like any sort of oh well, hey man, we can keep going. Like, I was just gonna say like any sort of final thoughts. Is there something we didn't touch on? You know, like from this period, from this show specifically, or this era? I could call you at two in the morning when they all come to me. Like they, you know, Murphy's, <laughs> it's a Murphy's law. Murphy's law, as they say. So I'll remember everything afterwards. It was it was a great show, and it was so tight. Like these guys were so well rehearsed. They were oh. so no jiving and to hear you guys fill in some of these things like this is them moving into the toronto rehearsal spot they're all cohesively located here yeah. they're probably mm-hmm. sitting around the studio there you know riffing tunes uh I, I would love to see uh a documentary about these guys in the same way that the recent beatles one came out um with um so about with uh with let it be you know let me say this so yeah. I agree with you, and I've agreed with you for a long time. 
uh, around the time that my brother and I edited this show, that yes. we were lucky and fortunate enough to do that, I want to say that I was pitching to Chris and Jay, perhaps, perhaps just from a fan perspective, like I, this is, I mean, I certainly am by no means like best friends with them now, but certainly somewhat acquaintances. But I remember bugging them at the time, like somebody's got to do a movie about you guys, you know, like a devil mm-hmm. and Daniel Johnson style thing where it's sort of like, not necessarily a glossy, you know, version, um, but something that kind of encapsulates everything. And and I know for some artists, that's kind of like a kiss of death, like, well, our crew's not over yet, blah, 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 kind of thing. But, you know, the, the definitive doc definitely has to be made on these guys. And if there's a financier out there, like, Ken and I will steer that ship or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, um, you know, I, I, that project I'm sure will happen someday. And I, I don't know whether any of us will be involved, but that's gotta be a thing that happens. Cause this story, yeah, for sure. like you watch that rush documentary that was done yeah. a couple of years ago, beyond the lighted stage. I mean, these guys are just as an important bander in some senses more so, um, regardless of, you know, commercial success up and down over the years or whatever. But I mean, in terms of the art, you know, that with this been, put out by these dudes and their ability to stay relevant and, you know, like uh, just incredible songwriters uh, that, that movie has to be made. So hopefully that's something yeah. that we see at some point in the future. <laughs> the world needs to know what we know. Yeah. And, and beyond well, too, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what they need to do then is give all access so that when, if, if you can't make it while they're still around, these guys are going to be around forever. They're going to be kicking out the sweetest gems until the end of time. So at the end of time, there's no time to make this. So they got to let, give you guys full access to get in there so that it can be made when it's all said and done. <laughs> well, I'm, like I said, somebody's going to make that movie. We'll see what happens. But, all right. uh, and I can't wait to see it, man. But anyway, yeah, wrapping up. Ken, any final thoughts at all, sir? It's just such an interesting and, and, and sort of like I, I had the, the, the weirdest mixed emotions after that performance, after watching that live. And I must admit, I only watched it once because I didn't want to have to, I couldn't sleep afterwards. I mean, it was early in the morning here anyways, but I could not sleep. I did not get any sleep after that. Same. I had, yep. I had thoughts going through my head, like what was happening in February 2000, like <laughs> thinking about those guys at that age doing yeah. that and thinking about myself at that age, seeing them, it just, it, it, it woke so many memories. Uh, and uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very, very thankful for the guys to to dust that one off totally and yeah. serve it up to us you know because we haven't been we haven't been able to see them you know in the last couple of years uh, yeah. with with very few exceptions yeah so it's such a treat uh to be able to get that and here's hoping that you know we'll be able to see them again soon and here's hoping for a between the bridges box sets at, at some point down the road yeah and what a performance to see you know to serve up i mean what a performance um, but yeah, I mean, we can speculate all day about what's coming down the pike. I think album 13's on deck and then perhaps a smeared box set. Um, like I said last time, it'd be fun to throw up a poll. I don't know if we would get skewered for this, but a poll about which box set should come next smeared between the bridges. Uh, but, uh, one of those is coming and I would assume at some point down the line, uh, we get, we get like a tactile DVD or Blu-ray of this performance, um, perhaps with other content, but, uh, hmm. yeah, something to look forward to, man. Sloan fans. That's the cool thing about this band, man, is we're 
not talking about some band that's dead and gone. We're talking about guys who are who are alive and all right. And like you said, uh, Ron, kicking out the jams, man. Like these guys are going to be around for a while. They've got content, you know, coming out the wazoo for years, whether it's reissues or whatever. So a lot to look forward to, man. So for sure, yeah. And we're going to try to cover it the best we can here at Sloancast. And uh, we thank you for listening. So why don't we all say goodbye to the listener? Hey, hey, why don't we get a clap going here? Hey, hey, hey. hey. Come with, on. With the latency. With the latency. Yeah, Ken could be a little Let's delicate there. On. It's very early. <laughs> Song every day. Anyway, sorry, Ken. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I can't wait to uh, to see you on the street, Ron. And if you live in Toronto and you're walking up and down Bloor Street, give uh, give Ron a big old high five. He's impossible to miss. Give Rob a kiss and tell him it's from me. Hey, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'll start a campaign to get people, uh, you know, banging the lids of trash cans when you walk by. Just a respect thing, you know, come on. But uh, uh, same goes. And here's to at some point in the future, the three of us going to a show together. Wouldn't that be something? Ken, I would oh, love that. Oh Ken, I, I got a big kiss for you next time I see you. All oh, right. yeah. I'll pucker I've, up. I've definitely got some hugs saved up for you. <laughs> or Ken. a hug, a hug. A hug. <laughs> whatever, whatever you like. Awesome. Well, it's been I'm, I'm a. <laughs> well it's been uh, it's been a pleasure ron thank you so much for joining us again and thank you listener for joining us as well uh check all the guys out on their various socials at slow music and so on they got link trees and lots of stuff to check out uh, and we will check you out next time on sloan cast see you later Bye-bye. Bye-bye.